Well, good evening and welcome to our Good Friday service. My name is Tim and I'm the pastor here. So glad you could join us even virtually for this special service. And these are unique days. This is evidence of that. So many other things in your life are evidence of that. And they're really unprecedented days. And in these unprecedented days, we talk about that every Sunday at Phoenix Bible Church. In these unprecedented days, things have been taken away from you. Uh, for some of you, your job has been taken away from you. For some of you, your health. For all of us, our, our comforts, our securities, our routines have been taken away from us. And, and in that, even this Good Friday service, to be honest with you, as a pastor, one of my favorite services of the year is Good Friday. I love the song we sing on Good Friday. I love the fact that Good Friday forces us to pause and reflect and zoom in on the cross of Christ and reflect on it and just spend some time doing that together. And I love doing it together. And so it's unique. And I know that's a small thing compared to the job and the health and, and the economy and all the things that are going on right now. But the reality is in these unprecedented days, things have been taken away from us. But I also believe that things haven't just been taken away from us, things have been given to us. And one of the biggest gifts that you and I have been given during these unique days is the gift of reflection. And you need to know that's what Good Friday is all about. It is a time, even from your living room, to dim the light. I would encourage you to do that, to, to quiet the room and to pause and reflect on the death of Jesus Christ in your place for your sin. Tonight's a night of reflection. And so I would invite you to lean into this time that you would reflect with me. And we're going to reflect together from the Bible in the book of Luke. So grab a Bible, head to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Head to Luke chapter 22. Uh, the title of this Good Friday message is Unfailing Love in Unprecedented Times. And so lean in with me as we look at Luke 22 together. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is the covenant of unfailing love. And we're going to see that in the story of the Last Supper. To set it up a little bit, the Last Supper is a celebration of Passover. And Jesus has this Last Supper before his death, bread and wine with the disciples. And it's a celebration of Passover, which all Jewish believers celebrated. And it pointed back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And Passover, if you don't know the story, was how the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt. And the way they were rescued was blood of lambs, innocent lambs, was painted on the top of doors. And God saved the Israelites through those means. And every year, people would get together to celebrate that Passover, that the people of Israel were passed over and they were protected and even saved by God through that. But this Passover with the disciples, with Jesus, is different. And you're going to see how it's different. Look at Luke 22, starting in verse 14 with me. It says this, And when the hour came, he, that's Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in 
my blood. So how is this Passover celebration different than any other Passover celebration before? I'll I'll give you a few ways. One, Jesus refers to a new covenant, not the old covenant of the Old Testament. A covenant, just so you know, is a big word for sacred promise. And we see covenants all throughout the Bible. They're sacred promises. And this sacred promise that Jesus points to is not the one back in the Old Testament for God's people, the Israelites. This sacred promise points to his selfless sacrifice that he's going to make on the cross. And you notice that as he says, his body's going to be broken. His blood is going to be poured out. This is a, a new covenant, not the old covenant that they're celebrating. The second thing is, He doesn't point back to Exodus. He points literally to himself. He's not pointing to a bunch of innocent lambs that their blood is going to be painted on doors. No, he's pointing to the innocent lamb himself. His blood is going to be poured out. It's also different because as Jesus talks about this new covenant covenant that he's going to establish, it's different because of who he's sitting across from. You see, you got to picture Jesus is at a table And he's taking of this bread and taking of this wine and talking about this new covenant, this new sacred promise, pointing to his selfless sacrifice. And he's doing that with people like Peter. Peter, who would go on after this to deny Jesus not once but three times. He's sitting across the table establishing this new covenant, this selfless sacrifice, this unfailing love. He's establishing that not just with Peter who would deny him, but Judas who would betray him. And this is the crew that's sitting across from Jesus as he makes this new covenant, not with the blood of lambs, but with his own blood. And so I want you to, I'm going to give you several things as we walk through this tonight that I want you to focus in on and, and hope in and see change in your life this Good Friday as you reflect. But one of the first things as we start this is I want what you see here, God's unfailing love through Jesus and through his new covenant in Jesus, is that I want you to see that this changes our definition of love. It deepens it. Here's what I mean. I imagine a lot of you, you like me, right? I hope you do. Uh, And you like me because maybe I share some funny stories on stage on Sundays Uh, You'd like me because maybe I've prayed for you or I've pastored you or just been there for you or spoken into your life. But what if I stopped loving you that way? What if I just immediately stopped all that and started speaking cruel things to you instead of loving things to you? What if I didn't just stop there? What if I went over to your house and I kicked your dog or your cat? That's probably more fitting. (laughs) What if I did something like that? Then, Then would you like me? Then would you love me? See, the reality is for for us, horizontally, most of our relationships aren't based on covenantal love. They're based on contractual love. Contractual love. Hey, you do this, and then I will do this. You stop doing this, tearing up the contract. No longer will I love you. And what I want you to see is right off the bat, this Lord's Supper, this celebration of Passover, Jesus is making a covenant, a sacred promise with people who he knew would deny him and betray him. That's unfailing love. And it's not just unfailing love for them. You see, they're not the only people sitting across the table from Jesus who would deny or betray him. You see, you and I do that every day. That in the midst of our, our sin, is we look at a God who's given us his perfect and holy way, and we say, no, God, I think I'm gonna go my way. 
like in sex, I think I'm going to go my way. You've created it for marriage and for, to be glorifying to you and satisfying for me. But I think I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go, instead of love, I'm going to go to lust. You've created speaking the truth and love and words that can bring life in the midst of other people's lives. But instead, God, I'm going to go my way and I'm going to go to gossip. You've created money, God, and you've created that to be stewarded for your glory and the edification of others. But instead, I'm going to go to greed. And over and over, we deny God and we betray God in the midst of our sin. In fact, Romans 5 says it this way, Romans 5.10. It says, while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So just like Jesus had some eventual enemies in Peter, Judas, who denied him, who betrayed him, sitting across the table as he made this new covenant of his unfailing love, we are sitting across the table as enemies of God. But in his grace, he loves us anyway. He gives his life anyway. So we see this unfailing love. We see this covenant of unfailing love. The second thing we see is the cost of unfailing love. We see this, just to set this up a little bit, this is at the Mount of Olives in Luke chapter 22. And uh, Jesus is praying to the Father just before he goes to the cross. And some of you hear Mount of Olives, you might be thinking, I thought Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Same place. Right? The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. In fact, Gethsemane means oil press uh, from the olive trees that were around. So same place. And that's the scene we come to as we see the cost of unfailing love. Look at it with me. Luke 22, 39 through 44, it says this. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there he appeared to him, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Notice the vivid description Luke gives us of what Jesus is going through as he prays to the Father. He's in agony. He's sweating drops of blood, but not just drops of blood, great drops of blood of blood. And, and the reason Luke gives, notice this, is interesting. It's not just the impending physical death that he would endure on the cross. No, Luke draws our attention to this imagery of the cup. Do you see that? that this cup in verse 42 is imagery from the Old Testament of the wrath of God poured out for sin. And this is what is causing Jesus to sweat drops of blood. It's not just physical pain, it's spiritual weight. It's this cup, if you can picture it, of all of God's wrath from all time, for all of sin, and it being poured out on Jesus directly. Listen, I want you to think about your sin for a moment. Your sin that caused Jesus to sweat drops of blood. Your sin, your small ones and your big ones. Your private ones and your public ones. Your respectable ones, but also your perverse ones. All of your sin, past, present, and future, is poured out on Jesus at the cross. And Jesus, listen to me, Jesus in his humanity, fully God, fully human, Jesus in his humanity, he's praying in this garden, and he begins to, to feel the spiritual weight 
of our sin, of all of those sins in this cup, God's holy wrath that's going to be poured out. And instead of being poured out justly amongst everybody else in the world and, and you and I, it's going to be poured out on one man and his name is Jesus Christ. And he feels not just the impending physical death, but also the spiritual weight. And it costs him. He's in agony over this. And so just like we talked about, I want you to redefine love. I want you to redefine sin tonight. That as you reflect on the, the cost of unfailing love, it was, it was free salvation to you, free love to you, but it cost Jesus greatly, physically and spiritually. And as you reflect on that, I want you to change and, and deepen your definition of sin. I, I want you to be more aggressive in your disdain for sin those public sins and those private ones, those respectable, so-called respectable sins, but also the perverse ones, that you would have a disdain for sin. Because here's what I know. As many of us will say things like, hey, my sin's not hurting anybody. I mean, hey, this gossip, that's not hurting anybody. This lust, that doesn't really hurt anybody, which, by the way, is never true. Your sin always hurts you eventually it will hurt you for eternity and that you will be separated from God in hell. Your sin always hurts the people that are closest to you, often the times the, the people that you love the most, and your sin already hurt Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. It, it hurt Him in the garden. He agonized. He sweat drops of blood. It hurt Him on the cross. And the next time you're tempted to sin, the next time that looks, lust looks so attractive, the next time that gossip looks, oh, it's just a little, I'm just an extroverted person. I'm just speaking my mind. The next time that greed looks enticing, you would pause and you would think about the agony of Jesus. You would think about the cost that Jesus paid on your behalf to secure unfailing love for you. So it would change the way you think about love. It would change the way you think about sin this Good Friday as you reflect. Our next point, and our last point, is the culmination of unfailing love. We're going to see this as we look at the actual cross in Luke 23, verses 32 through 46. Just to set this up again, Jesus has already been tried, mocked, and beaten. Now comes the cross. Look at Luke 23, starting in verse 32 with me. It says this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Again, Luke gives us a lot of detail. We can put ourselves in this scene. He gives us a a vivid description of what's taking place here. And I just want you to walk through a few things with me. We see this culmination of unfailing love by Jesus as he's crucified. He's nailed to a wooden beam. And if we calculate the hours here, Luke gives us, it's about six hours. And and scholars tell us as we look at uh, the act of crucifixion that there's many ways to die from it. There's acute shock from blood loss. There's suffocation from being too exhausted to breathe. There's dehydration. There's heart attack induced by stress. That's what Jesus is experiencing as he's put up on a cross. The second thing, verse 44 and 45, we see that spiritual weight of sin and wrath, that cup that's poured out on Jesus. We see that as the lights go out, as darkness, it says, Luke says, covers the land and the sun's light failed in that moment because of the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. We learn in verse 34 that he's most likely naked upon a cross. I mean, again, just try to picture there's crowds around yelling, crucify him. And Jesus, the sinless son of God, is naked. Essentially, they're, they're, they're casting lots. They're throwing dice for his garments. Maybe he had a loincloth, or maybe he was just naked, humiliated up on a cross. Verse 37 through 39, if you look at those verses, we see Jesus' position is mocked, king of the Jews, that his power is mocked. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. He's mocked by one of the other criminals. I mean, how, how humiliating can this get for Jesus? Verse 36, we learn that they make sure to draw all of it out as well. You see, they give him some sour wine. That was basically a narcotic. That wasn't to help Jesus out. No, that was so they could draw out the pain and the public shame. That's the scene that Luke paints for us. And and maybe you're sitting there in your living room right now. Maybe your your kids are even around. Or maybe you invited somebody to join you that doesn't know Jesus. And you're thinking, Tim, why all the gory details? I I mean, we know it's good Friday. Like, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. I mean, Jesus is going to come back to life. Why, Why do we have to sit in the grief of his death? And what I would tell you is we need to sit in the uncomfortable details of the death of Jesus, of the cross of Jesus. We need to sit in those uncomfortable details so that we can fully embrace the culmination of his unfailing love. You see, I know just like, just like me, you probably have seen a cross. Maybe you even wear one around your neck. Maybe you got one tatted on your arm. And we see him even on shirts and and we think, well, Jesus Christ died for my sin. And we can tend to minimize that. And and we can minimize it so much that we start to look at our sin and we start to look at our lust and our gossip and our greed and our perverse sin and our private sin and our public sin and our hidden sin and all the sins nobody else knows about. We start to look at those and we think, well, Jesus died for my sin, like on a cross, like that girl's necklace or that tattoo, or like every church, I just see one everywhere I go, and we can lose sight of the weight and the enormous physical and spiritual weight that Jesus endured on the cross. So why the uncomfortable details? That is how 
we fully embrace the culmination of unfailing love as we realize what Jesus really accomplished on the cross. See, here's my last hope for us as we reflect on this Good Friday is that we would go ahead and see the fullness of our sin, but we would also see the infinite payment for our sin upon the cross by Jesus. We would go ahead, and I would invite you to go ahead and start thinking about your sin and start thinking about your your failures tonight, that you would go ahead and see them fully, that you have failed, you have denied Jesus, you have betrayed Jesus with your sin, that you would, I know it's uncomfortable, but you would see that fully, you would see your failures fully, but that you would also see fully the unfailing love of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. You see, that's what Good Friday is about. It's it's about you realizing that your sin is far worse than you could ever imagine. But the love of Jesus is greater than you could ever dream. And both of those are true in the cross. That's why it's the culmination of unfailing love. And really, that's what communion is about. And that's what we're going to partake in now. I hope you grab some elements, crackers, bread, juice, or wine earlier. You can do that now. We'll give you a few moments after I pray to do that. But we're going to do what Jesus did with his disciples. We're going to take some bread right from your home. We're going to take some bread and we're going to take the juice and the wine. And you can just dip that bread in the juice or the wine and partake of it, just like the the first disciples did. And I want you to to picture your sin. I want you to spend some time in confession and repentance. Again, that's the gift of Good Friday, is that we have to pause. We're forced to pause and reflect. And reflect on our sin, but also reflect on the unfailing love of Jesus. And listen, I know as we're doing that, COVID-19 is still a real thing. I know we're kind of escaping here to Good Friday, and that's something we do every year. But I know there's, there's ups and downs in your life. I know this is a different season. I know there's a stay-at-home order. I know that your job has been affected. Your health has been affected. But listen to me. As we've looked at these events, as we've reflected on Good Friday, you need to know as everything in your life has changed, as we take communion, you need to be reminded that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his unfailing love displayed through the cross hasn't changed. As everything around you has, his love hasn't changed for you. It still heals you of your sin. It still forgives you of your sin. And you can entrust your sin to Jesus now as we partake in communion. Let's pray together as we prepare for that. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these men and women who are gathered around watching this. God, I I lament the fact that we can't be gathered together, but but we are gathered with you and we are gathered with a few other people and that's all we need. And God, we have this, this message of the cross. We have this message, this covenant of unfailing love, this cost of unfailing love. We have this, this cross and this culmination of unfailing love. And God, I pray that we would just take a few minutes now to pause as we take communion, as we take of the, the bread and the wine. God, if we placed our faith in you, that we would reflect on both our sin and the cost it was to you, but also your love and how it's fully paid that cost. It's fully paid that debt. Right now, past, present, and future sin has been paid by your cross, not by anything we can bring to the table. And so God, I pray for those that know you that as we take communion that we would remember that, that we would confess sin 
that we would repent of it, knowing we can be forgiven fully by you. And God, I pray for the people who may not know you watching this. God, I pray that they would trust in you for the first time, that they wouldn't take communion, but they would stop and they would just open up empty hands of faith and they would just put their trust in you. They can stop listening to me and start talking to you and give their life to you and trust in your unfailing love displayed on the cross for the very first time. God, may this be a good Friday that we remember because it literally changed the trajectory of our life because of your unfailing love. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.